Despite a record-high surplus, Kentucky misses the revenue goals set by the Republicans to lower income tax by $435 million. I'll talk about what that means and how conservatives should respond. Last month, an arts group gathering at Pine Mountain ended early when a group of locals took issue with something they had posted online. There's been a fair amount of articles about this. I'll explain what happened and who I think is wrong and right. Then finally, public schools around Kentucky have been assigning kids a project for social studies called a greats presentation. I'll cover why Kentucky schools should stop assigning this to public school children. I'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Kubrider show. But first, I am your host, Andrew Kubrider. And I just want to encourage you to make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. I know I ask every show, and I know everybody's annoyed with the initial hooks of sorts, but it is an important step to continuing to grow our following and the people who listen to this podcast. So please, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, uh, please share it. If you're on YouTube, you know, share it as well. Um, subscribe if you're listening on YouTube and make sure you're following the page if you're on Facebook and Twitter. And then also as well, make sure you're listening on the podcast form. This is available on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, iHeart, Pandora, um, and so many more. So please make sure you, you can listen there. Make sure you know that. And also too, as well, if you are listening there, make sure you leave a review. But as always, you only re- leave a review if you like the show. If you don't like the show, well, frankly, um, we don't want your opinion around here. It's not welcomed. But without further ado, let's dig into it. So Kentucky fails to hit the quote unquote trigger law to lower income tax. Now I put trigger in quotations because frankly, when it comes to legislature, there is no actual legal requirements uh, that they can pass to control then what they pass. Um, The only things that control the legislature is the constitution and the rules that dictate how each chamber operates. These rules are passed at the start of each session. Otherwise, they can do whatever. If a law tells them they're not allowed to pass a law, they simply pass a new law that then overrides that old law. They are the ones who write law. So there's no such thing as a law requiring them or not requiring them to do so. So what we're really talking about here is House Bill 8 from 2022. And that bill was a framework for Republicans. Uh, They called it their comprehensive tax plan. You also hear them say that they were modernizing the tax code. And I'm putting that, of course, in quotations, because so often modernizing the tax code just means we need to charge you more taxes and we got to figure out a way to sell it to you. Um, Or at least we believe we need to charge you more taxes. And so what they passed was just simply a a framework for processes. They can choose to follow this or they can choose not to follow this. Like as in this year, they hit a trigger to lower income tax. And then they took a vote on a bill that actually did the lowering. They could have, of course, not passed that bill. um, And that would have been perfectly legal for them to do so as well, because once again, they make the laws. So what was House Bill 8 from 2022? Well, uh, the bill itself laid out a plan to stair-step down our income tax by half a percentage point at a time as long as certain revenue markers are met. Now, long-term followers of the show and people who've really followed my political involvement know I absolutely hate this bill. I hated it at the time. I still hate it. I think it's the farthest thing from a conservative tax 
and spending plan than I've ever heard. This is a tax and spend plan that is put forward by larger government advocates. And it, it is completely, I, I, I do not understand how we have a conservative, well, I do understand how, but we have a conservative state that passes a plan like this. Um, and I absolutely hate it. I hate this plan. And I'll go into why I hate it here in a second. Um, because what, what it does is it's a larger government spending plan that involves pie in the sky dreams and ideas that I don't know if they'll ever come to fruition. And if they do, it will mean that our state government will have almost doubled in size in the process. Now, why do I say this? First, let's understand where we're at before this bill passes. Also, pause here. Um, as I dig into this, I just want everybody to, to realize here, I don't expect you to agree with everything I say all the time. Um, I hope you don't agree with everything I say, because that means you're not independently thinking about these things yourself. I hope you agree with me most of the time, uh, as everybody desires to be right, uh, at least a majority of the time. Um, but I know you're not going to always agree with me. And I know there's people that may be listening to this that greatly enjoyed House Bill 8 from 2022. In fact, there are probably legislators listening to this that have voted for this bill, for House Bill 8. From 2022. And I understand the political situation that was put before you when it comes to voting. I just want to say that to the legislators that I know do listen to this podcast. I know those of you who voted for it, you're put in a pretty impossible position by our leadership. But at the same time, um, to those of you who disagree with my viewpoints on things, I hope you still continue to listen and continue to follow because at least I'm providing a viewpoint that is a little bit different. Uh, than what you get everywhere else. And it's not going to be just a run of the mill, um, you know, rah, rah, everything a Republican does all the time is perfectly amazing viewpoint. You're going to get an honest viewpoint uh, that comes from a person who believes in smaller government, lower spending, and more freedom in the lives of the citizens of Kentucky. But I just want to say that. Now, let's understand where we were at before this bill passed. Okay. So when house bill eight was enacted, our general fund receipts were around 12.5 to 13 billion. Um, that is non pass through government funding, kind of like a pot of our state government. So that includes, uh, you know, the sales taxes go into that income tax. Uh, there's a few other taxing sources and, and they all get deposited into this tax. And our sales tax is at 6% and our income tax rate is 5%. That's where we are going on to this bill. Now, the goal of this plan is to get to a 0% income tax. I guess, well, that's half the goal. Half the goal is to get to a 0% income tax. And that is a goal, by the way, I 100% agree with. I find income tax to be immoral and fundamentally wrong. It is wrong that the government gets its cut uh, out of your work and your labor before you even get to put food on the table for your family. Uh, personally, I find it reprehensible that we live in a society that has somehow agreed that one third of your labor is somehow owed to the government just by the fact you work. And this is a discussion maybe for another time, but I just want to get that out of the way. I am completely 100% opposed to the income tax. And I want you to understand, I support getting rid of the income tax, but I don't support as the other half of this bill um, that we'll dig into. So in order to get to this 0% income tax, the legislature says we'll cut income tax by half a percentage point as we hit certain revenue markers. So as the state brings in more revenue, we hit 
where uh, it gets to a half percentage point. Now, this is where uh, it goes off all kinds of conservative rails. Because if I was passing a conservative plan to get to 0% income tax, I would say, hey, as long as revenues stay at where we're at, I understand um, personally, I would think we need to reduce revenues, but I understand if you're saying, look, we don't want to be left holding the bag. We don't want to put ourselves in a situation where government needs money and we have no way to raise it because we just don't have the taxing in place. So, so I understand that. So if you want to say, look, we can cut down as long as we're pulling in at least this amount, uh, in revenue. So let's say you want to cut by half a percentage point, you know how much that'll cost you. So you say, as long as we're pulling in 13 billion plus whatever the cost would be for us to cut it down. So that way we maintain even funding at this 13 billion level. And the tax cut plan doesn't cost us revenues. Once again, I'm putting that in quotations. Um, then we can stay at 0%. If that's all the plan entailed, I would still kind of disagree saying that government needs to cut what it's spending. Um, and I, I, can go into a great list of all the things that government can cut spending wise. That's one of the things that people don't like to argue with me with. That's one of the things that legislators hate arguing with me on the more, um, you know, we think we're smarter than you legislators that when I say, Hey, you need to spend less and they go where I have answers of where they can literally save billions of dollars and they hate it. Um, because they, they then have to argue on each point, but anyways, putting that to the side, um, but so, so this is where it goes off the rails because if they're just trying to keep it even keel, okay, that's great. But in order to lower this, this half a percentage point, the revenue markers we have to reach to get to a 0% income tax would require us to bring in 21.5 billion into our general fund every year. That is an 8.5 billion increase from where we started at or a 65% increase in government spending out of the general fund. 65% increase. Now I'm a smaller government Republican. And if I ask the standard Republican on the street, is your state government too big or too small? They would say, well, it, it's too big. And we want it to be smaller. They say it's too intrusive. Let's get government more out of our lives. Well, smaller government, getting government out of our lives comes with less spending. Larger government comes with larger spending. Smaller government comes with smaller spending. There's really no other way to square this unless you're going to say that you're spending all the money to pay off all the debts. And then you're going to lower the taxes down even more. Maybe that's a discussion with that, of course, is not what they're saying. So obviously, if you're saying the state needs more money, to just do more, well, then that requires the government to get bigger than it is. So a larger government comes with larger spending. Now, the Republican legislature here is literally pax, passing a tax and spending policy that requires a 65% increase in government spending and growth. How is that smaller government and how is that conservatives? Now, defenders will say, and I've had many discussions with people on this, is, well, Andrew, we're going to grow as well. We're going to widen the tax base, an argument I'll get back to. But anyways, so therefore, our government must grow with it. So so first, we'll, we'll return to uh, we're going to grow this massive amount. So you won't have an individual increase on tax burden. I mean, we're going to grow our general fund by 65%, but you're not going to feel that your tax burden individually won't increase. We're just going to get more a wide in the base. We'll have more people working to tax from not just, not just percentage, but just a raw amount of more people working. So we'll be able to tax from them on this plan. So what you're sitting here and telling me is that the state of Kentucky is what going to have 
65% more people working or at least 65% growth in the state. I mean, that, that would be where we're at right now. That would be 2.86 million more people because we're at, we have 4.4 million people in the state. You want us to grow 65%. That'd be another 2.86 million people. Do you know how long it took Kentucky to get from 3.4 million to 4.4 million? That's just a growth of 1 million where it's at now. It took 50 years. It took 50 years. So now you say, look, we're going to grow by 65, 70% just because government is, is going to go ahead and cut taxes. And then our government will just grow with the people coming in because they'll be so amazed and blown away by this amazing tax plan. All these people are coming in. All these companies are going to come in. All these people are going to come in. More people are going to be working. Our historically low uh, labor participation rate will suddenly magically be fixed by this amazing tax plan that we're putting together. More people are going to get to work. And just like that, um, we're going to have 65% more people working. We'll be able to raise 65% more funds and our government will just grow with the more people. The government itself won't be growing per capita more. Now, is that accurate or true? No, of course not. That isn't accurate or true. You know that we're not going to grow by 65% of the amount of people working. You know we're not going to grow population in Kentucky by 65%. You know we're not going to in probably our lifetime. It just probably isn't going to happen. Um, it will probably take another 100 years or so, maybe 50. If, if at the pace we were going, if we double it, it would take 50 years. So we know that they're just really going to go ahead and grow government. I mean, let's look at this. We Republicans took over control of the purse strings in 2017. So that's when we took control. So that's when we were able to pass budgets. Okay. So the 2017 budget fiscal year would have already been passed by Democrats. And then moving forward, we'd be passing uh, new budgets. So in 2017, Kentucky spent 30.3 billion as a state. Now that includes federal pass-throughs. Okay. So there is monies um, that Kentucky really can't change. And that is we administer things like Medicare, Medicaid, uh, food stamps programs, other types of federal programs. And we as a state administer it, but that money is coming from the federal government. So we don't cut that money. There's no way we can control that amount of money coming in per se. We can control someone of how it's administered, like work requirements and things like that, but we cannot, that we can't touch that right. We, so let's just pretend we can't change it. So <clears throat> but with federal pass-throughs, that's $30.3 billion. Today, today, the state of Kentucky and its uh, enacted budget for 2023 is 40, or, or actual budget, $49 billion, including federal pass-throughs, $49 billion. That is a growth of 61% since Republicans took over in 2017. And lest you, you just think, well, that, Andrew, that's just federal growth. That's just the federal government giving you more spending. Well, federal pass-through amount only increased by 46% over that time. That only increased by 46%. So since 2017, we've increased our spending by 61% as a state all in, but federal pass-throughs only increased 46%. So that means we've increased our state spending more now than in 2017 and way more than what inflation would call for. Way more than what inflation would call for. 
And this is under Republicans. Republicans who ran on a platform of smaller government. So either we believe the Democrats were running a really lean machine when they had control of the purse strings, and when Republicans took over, we just needed to really keep, that machine was actually too lean. We needed to spend so much more. And that the Democrats were actually the small government people, not the Republicans. Or perhaps the current legislature, especially the leadership, is unable or unwilling to follow through on their stated campaign promises of lower spending. So going back to House Bill 8. Now, how are they going to raise this tax revenue? So they claim that they're not going to raise our individual tax burdens. They're not going to have to raise taxes, but somehow they're going to bring in 65%. Well, they say, once again, they're going to widen that tax base. So they didn't increase sales tax, but they did increase sales tax categories. So when they say they didn't raise your taxes, they're not actually being very truthful. I mean, if these legislators were Pinocchio, the entire state of Kentucky could hang their clothes out to dry on their nose. Uh, you see, because we didn't actually raise your percentages, your, your 6%, we increased categories. But what categories did they increase into? Well, they increased into business to business services like advertising. So let's say you want to buy a billboard for 5K, which is about what a more expensive billboard in Lexington one would run. Well, it'll cost you 6% more or another 300 bucks. Now, if we're being intellectually honest and we're not talking to, uh, we're not a legislator talking to constituents like they're a bunch of idiots who I'm lying to, or maybe at least the legislator themselves don't actually, they're idiots and they don't actually understand what they're saying when they say it. But if we're being honest with one another, we know businesses are not actually people. They don't pay taxes. People do. And People who pay the taxes, that means either the business owner. So if you're increasing the cost of marketing by 6% to a business, either A, the business owners are taking a lower percentage of the profit, so they're taking a hit, or this, which is way more likely, is they're simply raising the price of the goods they sell because my marketing budget has had to increase at least 6% to deliver the same amount of customers. Well, my prices are going to have to go up to cover it. This is just simple economics. Money doesn't come from anywhere. The state government can't print money. The money has to come from somewhere. So you're increasing the category as well as claiming you're not increasing the individual's tax burden. Well, how are you raising more in funds without increasing tax burden? Now, when folk faced with that question, once again, they claim, well, we're just going to increase our population. We're going to widen up that base. They disingenuously claim your tax burden didn't go up because while you are not seeing the line taxes, you are paying that in the price of the items you're buying. And so they put this in. They didn't raise your taxes, but somehow they still brought in more revenue. And so last year, they lowered by 0.5%. This year, they also raised more revenues, but they still mix missed their next marker, their next 0.5% marker, by over $400 million. Revenue still went up, but they missed the marker. So the question remains, how are they going to get to this $21.5 billion if they're already falling short? Well, their belief... Once again, is Kentucky will, will massively grow to their new tax policies. 
they believe that their taxing will just cause people to come into the state. So we already talked about the disingenuous stuff, that the fact that it's very unbelievable. But let's let's really examine that. Let's look at uh, Tennessee. So Tennessee, our neighbor to the south, enacted a 0% income tax in 2021. They fin finally finished it out. They started a process of lowering the income tax by 1% a year, uh, and they started in 2016, and then finally in 2021, it's now been gone forever. Now, this is a far cry different plan than KY. Yeah, we're also steadily uh, lowering it, but they're lowering it by a percentage point year over year. Now, when Tennessee started this process in 2016, they had 6.65 million people. Today, 7 million people or a growth of about 5 or 6%. I mean, hardly what the legislators I've heard claim is that, well, we're going to grow by a million, 2 million people. A 50% growth. But yet, Tennessee enacts the same tax plan, has fi finalized it, the same tax plan we say we're going to put in, and they only saw 5 or 6% growth. So, so to kind of wrap this up, the Republicans put in a place a spending and tax plan requiring 65% more in spending from the government than have the audacity to claim that the overall tax burden on us won't be increased 65% because the process of getting to zero will somehow grow our population by 50% despite you knowing for a fact that Tennessee, who had a better plan and process, only grew by 5%. Now, hopefully, if you're like me and you're listening to this, you're like, I can't believe this. I cannot believe that we have a tax plan that Republicans have put in place that are requiring such a large increase on our tax burden on the citizens. That's the only way we're going to be able to reach it. That's the only way. And those, like I said, those legislators listen to this and say, well, we'll grow population. You're not. You're not going to. Why? Why would we? Will we grow some? Sure. But why would we? Tennessee already has this in place. A lot of states already have this in place. If they want to be in a 0% income tax state, businesses and people, they would go to one. All these other states are hiring as well and also have low costs of livings. You and I both know, if you're being intellectually honest, you're not going to grow by enough to justify increasing the general fund by 65% without increasing the overall tax burden on the citizens. And more importantly, why do you need to increase the general fund so much? Why? Because you think you're going to grow? You're not. Get that out of there. And you know what's worse? Is that these legislators that voted for this, they come back, they thump their chest, and they say, look at what I did. And the people will clap for them. They'll clap for them because they have no clue that they're clapping for a tax and spending policy wrapped up with a pretty little bow of pretend conservatism because, well, possibly, perhaps, maybe, one day, we may get to 0% income tax. So what would I have us do? What would I have Kentucky do? I'd lower it by 1% a year. I'd get the state to spend less. Get them used to it as we go back. Yeah, you know, you may have to cut back. Maybe the state won't have as much money to spend on DEI consultants. Something we literally spend millions on a year. But you know what? The citizens of Kentucky are having to cut back right now, too. And maybe it's time that our government does the same before they continue to push down more of their overtaxation and spending policies because, darn it, they just want more power. They want to do more things for us. They want to solve more problems. How about we become a bunch of conservatives in a state? 
conservatives in a state legislature that recognize our government is too big and we spend less and we tax less, not cook up a scheme so the government can make 65% more. Coming up, I go over what happened at Pine Mountain last month and what you need uh, to know. We'll have all that right after this short break. So Pine Mountain is in Harlan County, Kentucky. On Pine Mountain is a school and a chapel that was built in 1913, so 110 years ago. This site is very historic and has been a long time part of the community, clearly. At one point, this actually was a part of Harlan County Public Schools for several decades, actually. Um, and it was a place where elementary school kids uh, would go and obviously be educated. So understand that the site has always been viewed as a kind of a public site. It is not like just straight up private property, um, like you or I just own private property. Today, uh, it, it's been owned by the public entities, the taxpayer as a whole. And today it is operated by a, according to their website, a community nonprofit ran by a board of trustees. So this isn't like, and I think that's important to know that this isn't like a private event venue that uh, uh, just suddenly came out of nowhere. And that, that's important to understand here. It's not like somebody specific owns Pine Mountain and it's under their control. This was a site owned by the taxpayers and now it's entrusted to this nonprofit. So Pine Mountain gets rented out by a group called the Waymakers Collective. <laughs> and this is a lefty organization that funds artists and culture uh, that they like in the area. I mean, um, I, I'll give you an example here. Here's their most recent Facebook post to kind of give you some idea of who this organization is. And for those of you who can't see the image I've shown up, this is uh, uh, the, the Waymakers uh, Collective's most recent post. And it says, we all deserve to understand our bodies and our desires. And then it's got a rainbow. And then in the corner, it says, sexy, sex ed, sexy, sex ed. So maybe that gives you some idea of what we're dealing with uh, here. So clearly they don't represent the values of most of the people in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, they just don't. And their goal is to change that. They fund artists um, and, and other projects that are cultural in nature. This is actually from their website. It says, we sustain community organizations led by black, indigenous, and people of color, young people, LGBTQ folks, and non-English non speakers, new immigrants, and those unlikely to get mainstream funding. So that is who they prop up. That is who they fund. They've actually said they've given out a million dollars to fund cultural artistic projects in the area. So clearly a lefty organization. So what happened? So they rent out Pine Mountain, and they were told uh, by the board, they say that they were told the board what they were going to do, and the board okayed it. And so what they did was, is they went into uh, the chapel, this 110-year-old chapel, and they set up a quote-unquote healing space. I'm going to show you a picture of this healing space that they set up now. So for those of you listening uh, to the audio-only version, to tell you what we're seeing here, um, you have out on the chapel floor, um, you have a, a some blankets, pillows, uh, looks like some some candles or lights set up. Uh, but then in the corner there, on top of uh, what looks to be the uh, pulpit, um, there's a, a, in front of the pulpit, there's like a cross 
area. And then above the cross is the Hindu symbol uh, Om that is largely displayed. It's displayed larger than the cross. So it's a Hindu religious symbol displayed above the cross in a church chapel that has been active for 110 years. This is clearly a desecration of a church. It is. Um, you can call what I'm saying here over the top. Um, you can you can say whatever you want, but at the end of the day, when you're bringing other religion symbols into a church, um, and certainly a, a church that the people of Harlan County have worshipped in for over a hundred years, it's disrespectful and it's wrong. It's the same way as you desecrating or or bringing in if you were in, for an example, a Jewish synagogue and you decide to bring in uh, Muslim. In- imagery into it. It's it's considered desecration. In fact, entire holy wars have been fought over who owns religious areas and, and, and the displaying of their religious uh, uh, symbolism and what kind of desecration uh, that brings to the area. Like I said, you can say I'm being over the top by calling it that, but just simply that's it. You brought a Hinduistic religious symbol into the area uh, and it's just wrong. It's just wrong. You're in a Christian church. It's disrespectful and it's wrong. Now, what's funny is the Waymakers on their website, they talk about the need to respect everyone's diversity and cultural expressions. Yet here they are doing the exact opposite. And at least you think that, um, you know, it's just me saying that this is, uh, they're, they're clearly putting up other symbols. Uh, This here is from the Waymakers website. Okay, this is how they describe the setup in the event. They say, the setup of the room included pillows, meditation cushions, soothing lights, plants, crystals, uh, and some artworks, including a painting that included an ohm symbol. It was a spa-like environment to help facilitate restoreness, rest, and reflection that we invite people to use how they wanted to take a nap, sit in quiet meditation or prayerful reflection within their own religious and spiritual traditions. It was not an environment intended to promote a certain religion nor an environment meant to insult or degrade anyone's religious tradition. It was simply intended to be a beautiful place to rest. So you do that somewhere else. You don't do it in a place that's already somebody's religious worshiping place. You don't, you don't worship crystals and reflect on your own spiritual traditions when you're in a Christian church. It was not, it's a Christian church. It's been there for 110 years. The fact that they don't see this at all, it doesn't even strike them as insulting at the time. While claiming to be people who are so concerned about offending people to the point that they ask people's pronouns, it shows what they really think. You simply don't actually respect all points. You only care about yourselves. What you do is a performative act. This is what they're doing. They're doing a performative act so they can pretend to be the better of everyone else here. This is a typical far left position. Wrap your own selfishness and desire to be special in some kind of altruistic power grab that falls down the minute you encounter someone or a place that disagrees with you. And then the mask comes off and your true intentions are revealed that it's not about others. It's about you. Now their defense of what they did, 
Well, they say our event coordinator specifically asked if there are any special instructions that would be taken into consideration when using the space. The only instruction we were given about the use of the chapel was not to move any pews. They just had the floors resurfaced. We were never told we couldn't bring anything into the chapel to create a healing and restful space for our participants. And we're told what we had planned in terms of using it as a restful space was okay. Now, you know, maybe the staff wasn't specific about not bringing in your pagan crystals and your Hindu symbolism into a flipping church because you shouldn't have to be. Specifically, when you're talking to a group that claims are all about respecting people's cultures. So what happened? Well, they post this photo here, photo I already showed you, to social media, and then a group of locals showed up. And these group of locals showed up and demanded that they leave the church and stop desecrating it. According to the group that showed up to protect the church, they said that they told them they needed to leave and helped them even carry their stuff out. At that point, staff from Pine Mountain showed up, told the group they couldn't use the church. They told the, the Waymakers Collective they couldn't use the church and they locked the building down. And then the space was guarded by two sheriff deputies. And then the Waymakers, just feeling too traumatized that they couldn't properly and fully desecrate a religious site as fully and as long as they intended to, packed up and left. They were still being allowed to use the rest of the facility. They could just no longer display their paganism and their Hinduism inside of a Christian church. So who's in the wrong here? Well, if you can't tell, I clearly believe that the Waymakers are disingenuous, self-centered, selfish people. You can't claim to be a cultural organization that's about respecting everyone if you can't respect one the number one faith of the region, if you can't respect their religious temples, if you can't understand how you're desecrating a space, if you can't understand how you worshiping whatever else you want to worship in a church is wrong, then clearly you're not really about respecting everybody's cultures. I mean, you're in a room full of pews with a cross and you don't think anything about it. That makes you a bad person. Now, is the board in the wrong? Well, maybe. It would depend on the conversation had regarding the chapel. Was the board aware of what the healing space to them was? I mean, did you want to just meditate in the church by kneeling or sitting in a pew? Well, that's not wrong. Um, the hope is that maybe that meditation turns to prayer and God meets you where you are there in that holy space. There's nothing wrong with a non-believer of Christianity coming into a Christian space and then proceeding to stop and think quietly. There's nothing wrong with that. So, but were they aware that they wouldn't just be meditating, but instead praying and worshiping to other deities? Were they aware of the religious symbols like the um and the crystals being put atop a cross? If they were aware, then the board members who approved and the employee who said, okay, should immediately resign. Now, if they're unaware, the reaction in this case to close off the church and to defend the church from the, the collective's desecration is the correct response. Now, is the group of Christians who came to defend the church, are they at all in the wrong? I just don't know because it would depend on how they did it. I mean, uh, this is a pseudo public historic chapel. 
It'd be the same as confronting people who are littering in a public park. There's a right way and a wrong way to do this. Obviously, this is much worse than littering in a public park, but it is about protecting your community's public spaces. Now, uh, are you... Was there violence involved? Did you say, would you say how it was said? Now, based on everything I've read about the incident, it doesn't appear they got violent. It doesn't appear they said anything uh, uh, remotely hateful or necessarily swearing. Well, why? Because these lefties who love nothing more than to be a victim could only say that a white mob of Christians and white supremacists showed up and made us leave. That's their quotes. Uh, no details about pushing and shoving and threats, weapons being pulled, no talk about yelling. Instead, they use words like saying, demanded we leave. That inclines me to believe they didn't uh, behave in a horrible way because uh, they could use certainly stronger terms in order to play this up. They would be. They, they Now, the group didn't demand they leave town. They left because they could no longer access the chapel, and they just felt too traumatized by that. And I guess they felt traumatized because Christians whose family and their family for the last 110 years have worshipped in that church were offended by the fact that this space, this pseudo-public space, was being desecrated by people who claim to care about others, but clearly they don't at all. So coming up, Kentucky public schools have been assigning middle school and high school students something called grapes projects or presentations. I'll go over what this is and why it should stop right after this short break. So grapes assignments or presentations are given out in public schools all across the nation, including Kentucky. Normally, these assignments are given out in uh, social studies classes. And GRAPE stands for geography, religious beliefs, achievements, political beliefs, economics, and social structure. The student is then supposed to make a presentation or do a project regarding uh, their grapes. And um, so basically, so geography, you know, where their family's from, where they live now, what their historical background is, religion, what their religious beliefs are, um, A, achievements, what they've achieved in their life, P, their political beliefs, what they believe in politically, uh, the economics of their family, and then, of course, the social structure, how their families set up. Now, immediately, this is probably making several of my listeners very uncomfortable that public schools slash government is having kids talk about these items in a very public way. It obviously creates opportunities for social pressure for a person to give up uh, their beliefs, such as saying you're a Christian, and then all the LGBTQ kids uh, that have been brainwashed into being afraid of a person who is a Christian then ask the administration or teacher to be moved away from you. Um, this type of public pressure and pupil pressure could make a child that otherwise um, believes in Christianity or conservatism either relent on their viewpoint or be more quiet quiet about it, be bullied into silence, uh, something that Christians and conservatives are actually very used to in today's modern society. They could be attacked, obviously, for their religious beliefs, or worse, they could be attacked for being a politically conservative. And then all the little Antifa, BLM, rich, liberal white kids decide that you're literally an awful racist and try to harass and report you simply for thinking Donald Trump is a good president. I mean, we've seen time and time again of children making up claims of things like racism or claims of behavior on people just because they simply don't like them. 
And anybody who's being honest with themselves knows that children will make up things about other children just to get them in trouble. That quite clearly happens. But that's not the only concern. I mean, not just the students, but what about the teachers? I mean, right now you cannot walk into a Fayette County public school without being accosted by liberal symbolism, like the trans flag, and then a statement on the wall about how if you're trans or gay, you can go ahead and come out to your teachers. Those are not just things I'm making up. These are actual things that are on the front office walls in Fayette County Public Schools. The several I've walked into over the last year or so have had these things into it. They're rainbow flags, they're trans flags, as well as a statement about how if you're gay, go ahead and come out to them. Sure, it's it's not the only school system, I'm sure, in Kentucky like that. I'm sure JCPS is similar. I'm sure that there's other school systems that are like this. But it's it's not as if schools are not actively pushing a leftist symbolism immediately as you walk in. So your child comes out to say that they're a Christian conservative, and now an activist teacher can target them. They can try to convert them. Or worse yet, have up their little antenna, even if it's in their subconscious, that their parents are maybe literally Hitler and just awful. And therefore, they must have their kids taken away. I mean, if you think Christian conservatives are awful, terrible people like the Democrat and liberal talking points say, well, then obviously you would do anything you can to take their children away from them. And of course, the list of concerns about possible abuse of knowing this information, whether it is even teachers then treat kids differently from there on out, goes on and on and on. I'm sure I don't need to spell this out for everyone. And, and to those who think maybe I'm cooking up some crazy fantasies, I just don't know what world you're living in. I live in this world, this world where I see these stories every day, this world where these things happen. I live in the world where Jefferson County Public Schools bust hundreds of kids up to the Capitol to protest against a trans bill. I live in a, in, in a world where we have BLM flags hung up in our public schools. I live in a world where Republicans and conservatives conservatives and Christians are targeted by lefty activists in liberal areas and beaten into silence, not physically, but verbally. So I think it's best if we just keep public schools out of the business of forced disclosing a child's religious, political views, even their social setup, their economic views. Really, it's nobody's business but the child and if the child decides they want to share it. Now, of course, your child, if, if you have a child in Fayette County Public Schools or any public schools and you find out they're being assigned grapes assignments, now you know what it stands for, um, you most likely can opt out of these assignments, specifically because they're kind of skirting some constitutionality here. I mean, uh, from a school standpoint, you should really stop assigning these due to liability. The minute a child disclosed political or religious beliefs uh, at all publicly, if it is even slightly perceived that a teacher now is acting differently or treating them in a bad way or a principal or anybody, due to that info now being disclosed, you have a lawsuit on your hands. Additionally, back to the constitutionality, and this is why I say you most surely can opt out because otherwise this would be called, uh, uh, this would violate our First Amendment of free speech because this would now be forced speech. See, religious and political views are clearly protected speech under the First Amendment. In the same way, government cannot limit your speech on this. They can also not force your speech on this. Government cannot make you speak on politics. They cannot make you speak on religion. So you should be able to opt out. Now, if you're a parent and you get this assignment, you really have three choices here. 
You can do it and risk the possibilities of fallout and inviting the government and the public schools into some personal aspects of your life. You can ask to opt your kids out, or you can do a third option. If your child who's prepared to take the slings and arrows and you yourself are as well, you're prepared and willing to go the extra length and you have the means and ability to pay for the lawyers, have them take the grapes assignment and turn it into a strong stand for their beliefs. Have them pontificate on why they're a Christian and a conservative. If enough parents opt out or a lot of kids start taking this as an opportunity to witness about Christianity to their classes, I have a feeling the grapes assignment will be removed from the curriculum ever so quickly. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining us. I hope you'll join us back here tomorrow at one o'clock. Thank you all so, so much. Have a great rest of your day.